telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. Welcome to the AGA's podcast, Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. I'm Giselle Garbingera, Localization Program Manager at Plant. Today, we have a special panel brought to you by the EGA's Access Services Committee, and we're going to be talking about the ins and outs of SDH. I am super happy to be joined today by uh, Silvia Pure, Senior Vice President of Content Globalization at Blue, and Carly Witkowska. English language lead at Flint and an expert SDH linguist. Um, so Carly, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and then we can follow with um, Silvio. No problem. So I have an MA in Spanish and Applied Language Studies from Heriot Watt University in Edinburgh and also an MA in audiovisual translation from Roehampton University in London. And that's kind of where I started my focus on SDH and the research and kind of moved my work over into that more specifically than the wider area of subtitling. I've been subtitling and working in SDH for seven years and I work freelance for many of the key media outlets today. I'm also, as Giselle has already mentioned, a freelance English language lead at Plint. Giselle, it's a pleasure to be here with you today and with Carly as well. Um, so my name is Silvio Pure. Uh, I am the SVP of Content Globalization for Blue Digital Group. So I oversee localization and accessibility. I've been in the television and uh, film industry for about uh, 20 years now. Started off um, in Europe in production, uh, licensing and distribution. And uh, for the better part of uh, the last decade, I have been uh, working in uh, dubbing, subtitling, accessibility. I um, set the basis of one of the first English dubbing studios here in uh, the US on the West Coast specifically. And I've had the opportunity to, to work on a variety of English dubbing projects, English AD projects, as well as foreign um, projects in the localization space. Accessibility has been um, something that um, I've grown fonder and fonder um, in uh, the past uh, five, six years. And um, it's an opportunity really not uh, only to to cross uh, international barriers, but cross invisible barriers and really um, provide um, uh, access to content to, to um, people uh, in the disabled community, which which is something that, uh, that I care deeply about. So just first to, I guess, give a little background in this service um, and in, in the world of access services, the most common audiovisual access services in our industry are audio description, or AD, and subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, or SDH. So AD is primarily for the blind and visually impaired, and it is the verbal depiction of key visual elements. While SDH, for the deaf and hard of hearing, are subtitles that contain written descriptions of key audio elements. So for example, if you are watching, uh, let's say Frozen from Disney with audio description, in between dialogue, you might hear a description such as, a snowman shuffles up to a purple flower peeping out of deep snow. He takes a deep sniff 
his nose lands on a frozen pond. A reindeer looks up and pants like a dog and so on. So you get that um, additional context that someone who cannot uh, see the actual um, content needs to uh, consume the, the, the product you know, as well, as much as possible. Of course, audio descriptors and, and both the, the writers and the interpreters do it in a much more beautiful and poetic way that I just uh, gave to you, but you know, just to give you an idea of how much can be described and can be added uh, by those words. And in SCH, for example, if you watch Stranger Things season four, you may get a description of something such as uh, a sound cue as uh, creatures biting wetly. You know, that gives someone who cannot hear that sound a very good idea of what might be happening or, you know, what that might sound like. Um, so what both of these services have in common is that they aim to provide information or either of either on either visual or audible content that is considered essential to the comprehension of the program and that would be otherwise uh, be missed or not be accessible by consumers with visual or, or hearing impairments. And both of these services play a huge part in the entertainment industry, a part that we are so happy to see growing and reaching more and more corners of the world um, on a constant basis. Um, now, as far as SDH, we often get asked if it's the same as closed captions or CC as it's, you usually might see it. So both terms are used interchangeably by some, by um, you know, some consumers or even uh, people in the industry, but they do have different origins. Just to give you a little background, uh, closed captions started in the 1970s in the US. And so captions for the hearing impaired were encoded in what was called line 21 of the broadcast TV signal. So you may hear sometimes that line 21 associated to captions as well uh, as a service. And those were accessed by consumers via a decoder in their TV sets. And they were called closed because the signal had to be uh, turned on or accessed via a decoder. On the other hand, open captions, what we now know as subtitles, were burnt on the actual master and could not be turned off by the viewer. And they were usually used to translate foreign dialogue or text that was on um, the audiovisual content. Uh, now with new technology and devices, the limitations of CC have kept it mostly to broadcast services, while SDH is more widely seen on streaming services, DVDs, theaters, et cetera. So this is, uh, you know, just a, 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 a brief intro of this service, just to, you know, so, so make sure that we're all on the same page about what we're talking about, which is speaking of, of which, Carly, um, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about who is the consumer of SDH? Uh, who is the, the main target and then maybe secondary uh, consumers? So yeah, the consumers of SDH are the members of the deaf and hard and hearing community. This can range from those who are profoundly deaf, for example, they were deaf from birth, to those who just have minor hearing loss or, or have lost their hearing over time. So as you can appreciate, subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing are, we're trying to create something for a wide variety of people with different experiences and backgrounds. 
Therefore, we'll have people that will solely depend on the subtitles to enjoy the content and their experience will be more visual um, rather than auditory. And we'll also have those that use subtitles to support their experience, those that have lost their hearing or have hearing loss. We'll use the subtitles to support their visual experience and their auditory experience so they could still enjoy the auditory experience to a certain extent. So doesn't it seem well to you guys that we are tasked with creating one kind of subtitles that has to work for every single member of that audience? We need to remember that this could range from someone who's never heard before to someone who lost their hearing partially in recent months and years. So they have that experience of understanding the sound of a specific song that might bring up a specific memory for them and those that have never heard music but have managed to feel the vibrations and the rhythm. So yeah, it's crazy that we are creating one set. In an ideal world, we would love to have that tailored to individuals and create different sets of subtitles for different parts of the audience, but I'm not naive into thinking that that can ever be the case. So more recently, we've also seen SDH be consumed by those who don't have any hearing loss and they use this as a way to support their viewing perhaps if they're in a noisy area or they're traveling somewhere and they can't use full volume because they're watching on the go or simply just because they don't want to miss anything so they want to add the subtitles for that reason or even for language learners as we don't often have the same language subtitles available for every piece of content that's out there. It's important to remember, though, that that's not who the service is targeted at. So we're not creating subtitles specifically for that part of the audience. We're providing it as an accessibility service, first and foremost. Um, so, yeah, it's just over the years there have been various studies on the preference of the audience and things like that. And we draw from those when working on subtitles. However, I don't believe that we're in a position that we can say that we will know the answer uh, for every single situation and that we'll know what was what would have worked best because unfortunately, um, we just we're not we don't have the studies available, we don't have the understanding available. And I myself, I have I don't have any hearing loss and I'm a member of the deaf and hard of hearing community. Um, I just think it's important to align yourself with their, the wants and needs as much as you possibly can and understand that um, everyone it is a very individual experience for everyone and that we're creating it for a specific audience. I think that these subtitles happen quite frequently where perhaps the author has never really thought about the fact that they're creating subtitles for a, a community as an accessibility service rather than subtitles for those who can hear. Absolutely, those those are great points. I mean, I'm one that I, I as you, did not have uh, hearing loss, but I rely on, on SDH a lot just to get the full experience, make sure I'm not missing anything, maybe due to accents or because I'm not paying full attention to the audio. So, but yeah, I am not the primary target. So I'm glad that there is some um, data or research on this. And just to add a little thing in, uh, in the Access Services Committee and the AGA, we are uh, working on a survey to send out to the this target audience, the deaf and hard of hearing, to get their input on 
on what do they prefer? Uh, are they getting, uh, you know, the descriptors as works best for them so that, you know, you can get that research and then maybe work on, on providing more input regarding guidelines to the content, uh, you know, service providers uh, and, and help them meet the, the target audience needs. So we'll be working on that. We're very excited, but there are the, the limitations as, you know, uh, as I'm sure you all know that we'll have to start with a smaller audience, maybe let's say in the US or in Europe. And then, you know, how does that work for other um, territories? You know, is it the same or are there different needs? So that will all be um, very interesting. And speaking of which, Silnu, you work, I guess, more directly with the client. What, what drives the client to request SDH? Is it laws? Is it uh, audience needs? Uh, how do you see that? Absolutely, Giselle. It is really a, a bit of everything. Um, it varies from territory to territories, especially when it comes to legal requirements. So you we will see a lot of the clients being uh, pushed into creating a lot more accessibility um, deliverables um, in territories that have stricter laws. For example, Brazil or Northern Europe is taking the lead on these. Uh, the U.S. right now is also making traction, and we think it's for, first of all, it's it's great um, because you see uh, this uh, inclusion and this this push towards access to all coming in from the highest echelons of government. But in the same time, um, we're also seeing clients uh, want to cover these deliverables even in places where there are no specific requirements. So. Um, you, you're actually seeing people want to do the right thing just because it's the right thing, which is to provide access to this content to as many viewers as possible. And sometimes it's driven by financial reasons because they're trying to also cover that portion of the market. But in a lot of cases, and I've had many conversations with clients, um, there is this, uh, this uh, push right now um for for the the market to be to be covered for for this um to be something that uh, that we also provide our our customers with so um whether it's one reason or the other we have seen an increase in demand in audio description in sdh um now we're also seeing um countries and companies go towards uh, signing uh opportunities and initiatives so um there's um, a clear path to an increased demand by clients uh, both on the studio side as well as on the streaming side and then even from um independent producers who are um coming out of post-production and they are immediately interested in creating deliverables uh, so that their uh, their movie, their series can have all of the elements needed on one hand to be uh, to be delivered to platforms and on the other hand again to reach as many people as possible. And like Carly said so uh, and so well put it, 
um, there, there's such a responsibility that comes with creating these kind of deliverables. It, when you're talking about localization, really, you're you're taking uh, content from one language and putting it into another, and you're trying to create the best possible experience. But when it comes to accessibility, SDH, audio description, we're really creating the experience um, for, for the community that really cannot experience the content in any other way. So the responsibility that we have to do it the right way, to listen to them, to to really um, um, apply the things that they want, that they need, is really a, a, a high level of responsibility. Again, we're, we're actually creating the content that um, will allow them to, uh, to experience in any shape or form that particular content. So um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity that comes with great responsibility. So yes, very interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. Great responsibility and, and also very gratifying to, I think, give visibility to the needs of these um, populations of this audience. So that's that's excellent. Um, do you feel that you sometimes need to push or educate the client on this? Or like you said, there, there's traction from the client itself to, to request it? There's definitely a lot more traction than it used to be. We're seeing that both on the localization front as well as on the accessibility front. But uh, in the same time, yes, we're we're educating. Uh, we, we try to to educate and to support our clients, not necessarily educate, but support our clients, especially when it comes to where is your content going, so that we understand exactly what do you need. Do you need captions? Do you need SDH? What kind of uh, what kind of technical requirements or stylistic specificity does that platform have? And sometimes it's generic because they won't know, but some a lot of times it is very specific. We're, we're going to Netflix or we're uploading where we're delivering to uh, to Amazon. And then we guide them towards, we need to make sure that we have that set of deliverables with the correct specifications in place so that um, there will be no issues in actually delivering to the platform. And then ultimately, uh, stylistically, we have the, the, the all, everybody's ultimate client is the community is the the deaf community when it comes to to sdh but there is this technical barrier that that we have to make sure that the client uh, that the client doesn't hit and that we're we're guiding them and supporting them through this process carly can you touch a little bit on um you know how do you become an sdh author are there academic paths and when you do become an sdh authors what are the challenges you face as far as limitations and client specs, and even the interpretation from the audience, let's say the hearing audience that's watching SDH and may say, wait, but that wasn't exactly what they said. They changed the word there or something. Um, maybe if you want, that was a loaded question. So <laughs> you can take it in parts if you want. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when it comes to training, like Sylvie's already said, like we are creating the experience. So it would be, it's crazy to think that when I started doing this job, there wasn't ever a specific requirement from clients or LSPs to have a qualification in subtitling for the deaf and hard of hearing. I was an English subtitler who did have, and me didn't. And so they were, 
creating these files with no understanding of the community, no understanding of what the product needs to look like for the community, and no deaf awareness training. And so over the years, in recent years, like Sylvia said, every accessibility is becoming at the it's at the forefront of people's minds. And so we do see more training opportunities now. And there's a great service that's created by researchers um, called ABT Masterclass, and they create some great resources that are easily accessible to freelancers, which I really recommend. And it's great to see more of that because otherwise there aren't a ton of training resources that are affordable to freelancers who who perhaps haven't got um, the the clients yet or want to get into the job and otherwise it is an academic path that you need to take if you want to have those qualifications under your belt and I'm not so sure about um, in the US but in the UK there are they are still minimal the the academic uh, the academic paths so yeah I think it's more on the the authors to gain the knowledge and gain the understanding because there aren't a lot of resources out there that are provided on the end of the LSPs or the clients. Um, and when it comes to gaining that knowledge on your own, there will always be the group that want to do that and the group that necessarily it, it's not their passion or something that they want to do. So it, it is about just making sure that the, that the clients are working with the correct people at the end of the day. Um, can you remind me of the second part of your question? Uh, the second part, if you can talk a little bit about the challenges of this job as far, from a freelancer perspective or an author perspective, as far as, you know, the, the technical limitations or the specs that, you know, is it verbatim? Is it reading speed? Is it, uh, you know, the different challenges that when a hearing audience has SDH on, we know they question why was that, a, you know, that wording different from what was actually said or stuff of that sort. For sure. So when it comes to like style guides and the 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 guidelines that are provided by clients, I think that they they can't be too specific because every situation is different. And if they were incredibly specific, then all creativity and all um the, all of the responsibility that's on the author would be taken away and we'd be working in a very regimented manner. However, there are parts of the style guides and the uh, the guidelines that we do work with on a day-to-day -day basis that are maybe a bit unnecessarily vague, um, especially when it comes to music and how we interpret that and how we transfer that over in our subtitles. I think that working with the opinions of the community and leaning on their their um basically their preferences and their what they they see works for them is the best way to do this um i know that the guidelines are there uh, to get to the style guides are there to guide us in a certain path and make sure that we're meeting all of the legal requirements and stuff like that. But when it comes to how we transfer music and the and sounds and the manner in which we do so, I think that the the main 
the main people that we should be taking those directions from are the audience because at the end of the day those are the people that are consuming the product I find that social media is becoming an, an amazing tool for um, SDH because the deaf and hard of hearing audience have been more frequently providing feedback to authors and QCers of SDH and it's great that we could learn from that. It's something that I find is a great tool. If, for example, I did an SDH, if I did SDH on a TV show that has a cult following, for example, very genre-specific references, and the sound is very genre-specific and the music choices are, I want my SDH to be in keeping with that and for the members of the audience to um, interact with it and understand why those choices have been made and for that to work for them. And it's great that we can get those automatic responses from the audience and know whether we've taken it too far or whether we didn't take it far enough or if we got it right. And I think that's the way that we can progress and make sure that the SDH that we're providing to the audience is the best that it possibly can be. But as an SDH author, there, there obviously are going to be the same sort of restrictions you find yourself having when you're working with other types of subtitles. Reading speed has always been a massive thing because there's, I don't think that production and the localization ever matches up perfectly, um, especially when it comes to reality shows and things like that. The speech is, is known to be incredibly fast. And Basically, I think that as long as we're not taken away from the experience in any way, we're trying to provide an experience that's as similar to that of the hearing audience. And for example, if I remove words that perhaps you would have removed in subtitles for those that can hear because you would understand the impact of the line or the tone in which it was said, or the the way that they repeated words in a in a certain way like you could hear that and you can understand the severity of it if i did that in my sdh i would be taking something away from the audience because they can't hear that explanation i need to provide it for them so i feel like i'm more on the side of verbatim and i know that that seems to be the preference of a lot of the audience they they much prefer that but we also have to remember we're creating subtitles for people who might not have highly proficient English. And so the reading speed might also be a problem for them. And I think that the research and the guidelines that the clients provide, they've done that background research and that's why they set the reading speed. So it's just about adhering to that as much as we possibly can. Um, would I like to see more input from clients about their pre the way that they see preferences? Yes. Um, I'd like to see them say, no, this is what we think about how music should be treated or how this sim type of sound should be treated. And should it be added to these style guides? In my opinion, it should be because they're leaving a bit too much to the authors and then we're going to have different qualities. And I think it should be a quality across the board rather than perhaps I might add those extra things and those more atmospheric descriptors for music and sound but others might not because it's not laid to them on the guidelines you know and so I think that the clients could be a bit more um a bit louder when it comes to that have more to say about it yeah that's a great point how um 
in the first place, the challenges that you face and also how the instructions that come from the clients can help with consistency. And I think that consistency can help the viewer and the consumer so they don't have to decipher, you know, all the different interpretations that each author is providing, you know, if, if they don't have that much guidance and they can be all over the place. You can still add creativity while maintaining some consistency or some standards. So it's just a matter of finding that, that balance for sure. And Sylvia, how do you see this market for, for incoming freelancers since it seems to be growing? Um, there is some training, I guess one thing that Carly mentioned, uh, you know, maybe finding the more generic training such as ADT Masterclass, which is amazing. And then maybe more localized to your territory and your language, um, you know, that is also interesting. Um, but how, what is the market for these incoming freelancers who do want to uh, focus on SDH? Absolutely. It's an interesting market uh, because on one hand it's growing, uh, it is uh, the demand is definitely higher. So that means that there will definitely be more be more opportunities. In the same time, the landscape is becoming more and more competitive as well. So um, you're seeing a lot more companies in the space, a lot more freelancers in the space following those companies, um, which means that the barrier to entry and the barrier to remain um, is going higher. Um, in the same time with all of the other technological advances that uh, are, um, are coming into the market as well, which are um, taking, um, taking some of the more... Uh, technical work like the transcription and 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 automating some of the some of the technical specs uh, and that means that there is an increased focus on the creative aspect of it which is figuring out um, what kind of uh, what kind of wording to use figuring out what kind of descriptors to use for uh, for specific uh, audio effects or for music like carly was mentioning so it it's definitely it it's definitely a challenging time um but it's also a time full of opportunity in terms of training there's um there are a lot of um, a lot of avenues for training available. I'll say you mentioned one of the Carly mentioned the, the master class. Um, there are a couple of initiatives uh, around the, the world with different companies. Blue Digital has one itself, and and I know other companies have also, uh, which is to train um, subtitlers, not only subtitlers, uh, people in the audio description space, people in localization as well, artists, talent, but to really provide more focused training based off of what Carly was mentioning, which was client feedback and specific uh, client guidelines, stylistic especially. Um, so it's it's just a matter of getting in front of those and finding those right training opportunities and really um, getting to a place where you're the best that you can ever be within that specific within that specific field. 
um, and also do it with care because like we were discussing it it it's really it, you you either care or you don't in this specific field because of the end user and because of the end community that you're ultimately serving you can service your company and then the client whoever the, the client might be but ultimately you're thinking about that community and and you have to care uh, and i believe that if you do care and if you have the language skills then everything else is trainable everything else is just a matter of putting focus and dedication into and 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 time into what what it is that you're doing and and uh, Taking, getting out the best product possible. Yeah, that was great that you touched on um, technology, how it is assisting uh, the service, but how important that human touch, that personal touch and that care is to elevate the quality of the, the, the service and in turn elevate you know, the, the understanding and the consumption from the, the viewer and the consumer side. So that I think will will always be needed, and that's why this training and this market, you know, will always be be needed as well. Although even if it does change, it's still super important. And speaking of important, Carly, can you share a little bit about the impact that, for example, your your personal work and the work that all your colleagues do can have on the awareness of these access services and visibility on the community and their needs? I know, for example, that you recently worked on uh, one of the shows. I know you work on many, lots of interesting uh, projects, I'm sure. But, um, for example, Stranger Things season four, and that had a big, um, that engaged a lot of people from all over the world into this service, and which might have been new to, to, to many people. How do you feel that um, impacts everything? Well, I like I said, I've done this job for seven years now, and that was the first time that anything that I'd ever subtitled was seen on a large scale like that. And I do think it's because obviously it, it is a massive show. It was a massive release. Everyone was waiting on it. But also because it was very genre specific. It's a show where like I mentioned earlier, it has a following and they have specific references and the 80s theme and the music, like it, they, they, it has a fan base. And so if those people were waiting for it to come out, and I, like I said earlier as well, like because more people are watching the subtitles, it was picked up on by tons of people who don't have any hidden loss. And that's obviously... Sp put it on social media it, it went viral almost and I think it, all I kept thinking about throughout the whole entire process was this is going to be amazing for accessibility because it meant that so many people who had never heard of subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing before were suddenly talking about them there was articles about them and it was seen on the mainstream grand scale of things, which isn't usually. And it was fantastic. And I hope that it's had an impact and I hope that it will continue to have an impact on the audience for the better and that the provision will be improved and that others can perhaps now understand that the audience that they're creating the subtitles for are there and they're loud and they're proud and they want they want the the subtitles to be to a certain standard and i just hope that it doesn't it doesn't fade i hope it continues to just be at the forefront of everyone's minds unfortunately we are running out of time because i feel we could 
talk a, a lot about this, but I think that's a great note to close this on, you know, that this is a, a, a community that is loud and proud and, and wants to get, you know, their needs met. And there's a, a, also another huge community on our side that wants to meet these needs and to do our best possible. So I'm glad that we get to have this conversation through social media and through this visibility that we get, uh, you know, from, from work like, like yours and Sylvia's. So thank you so much, Carly and Sylvia, um, for talking to us today and sharing your SDH knowledge and, and insights with us. It's uh, from my viewpoint, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here with you. Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.